Fortune. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 286 of Forty Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this week, we watched a show where an old white guy decided that he wanted to tell everyone that women and minorities shouldn't have any rights. Thank God all that's... Uh, man, I can't even say it. <laughs> It's amazing how relevant this show is still 50 yeah. years later. We're doing oh. the All in the Family show in case it wasn't obvious. How offensive it is. I felt yeah. weird watching it. I'm like, somebody's going to hear this and be like, what the hell is he watching? <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> it is kind of the perfect show for us, though. Just thinking about it, like, even then it was a show that was looking back. And now it's been remade. Looking back at the show that's looking back. And now we're going to look back at it. It's all backs all the way down. The beast with a thousand backs. <laughs> if you he like the beast with back. a thousand backs, and I know I do, <laughs> you might like the show. Shows on the podcast collective. The show on the podcast collective. <laughs> we were it's down, down to just, just one. It's down to just the Rad Dad Radio Hour. <laughs> you set him off too early. Wow, wow, wow. Oh no, he's going to take up the remaining time with wow, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, Joel has gone off too soon once again. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM. Podverse FM? What was the name of it? Yeah, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, Todd Chaser, and Spotify, and give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. I wonder if anyone did that. <laughs> I should really learn to check this shit before we get to this moment in the show. Jesus. You Man, you'll get it down someday. Someday. Uh, 324 episodes later. Uh, March 7th, 4.48 p.m. Okay, now we're still good. All right. So, yeah, that's what you're looking for is more of this. <laughs> Why wouldn't Aren't you? <laughs> I'm looking for four guys that are completely disorganized. We gotcha. We definitely have that. All right. It is about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. All right, this week we are going with January 12th, 1971, which is the premiere of the original All in the Family. All right, so music. George Harrison's My Sweet Lord was released January 15th and immediately became the number one song in the land. I love that song. It's a decent song. It's my probably my favorite of the Beatles songs. It's not a Beatles song, you know, post, not in the Beatles catalog. Song? Yeah, probably my favorite post-Beatles song. I don't know if I, I mean, I probably heard it, but I can't like. Yeah, sing. you definitely know that song, Joel. Yeah. Can't sing oh, it. Oh, for sure. Everybody knows it. What about Live and Let Die? I know that song. Yeah, I think it was a, that was good. I don't, I don't like it as, nearly as much as this one. Okay. It might, uh, Photograph by Ringo Starr is another good one. Oh, yeah, that is. But yeah, I think that one's probably my, it, it's it's definitely that one or George another George Harrison song, but that's not, we're not discussing that right now. <laughs> Uh, albums released this week included Chicago 3 by Chicago, Pearl by Janis Joplin, Deliverin' by Poco, Hooker and Heat by John Lee Hooker and Canned Heat, and ZZ Top's first album by ZZ Top. How, 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 how. That's a pretty good lineup. Yeah. You guys familiar with Poco? 
Pocojicho. They're they're like a mid group that like you know was if you look up like the lineup, you know it's, it's all kinds of guys that were like in between doing like guys that were in between Buffalo Springfield and Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and all these different you know the Yardbirds, all these different groups that just kind of got together and they all jump in and out of Poco over the years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Poco has been going on. They, they they finally stopped making music in like 2013, something like that. It's like a super group, sort of. Pretty much, yeah. It's like a like a lesser known super group. A bunch of guys that just get, would get together and make music just for the hell of it, and not even really release singles or anything. They just made albums. Hmm. Born uh, January 17th in Romeo, Michigan, Robert James Ritchie is an American rapper, songwriter, musician, and actor best known as Blank. Anybody? Um, oh, I just uh, thought his his stage name was underscore. <laughs> nope, no, it's an actual <laughs> I person. Thinking. I just I just Robert wanted to know James. if anybody, any of you guys knew that. Uh, shit, I recognize the name. Okay, born in 1971. Mm-hmm. That's gonna narrow it down. In Michigan. Uh, LL Cool J. Nope. Eminem. Nope. No. <laughs> that's that's a good guess. That's a real good guess, though. Uh, huh, Michigan. You've seen him in concert, Josh. Oh. oh. Oh, okay. Kid Rock. Yep. Oh. Cool. In I liked him better than he was underscore. Yeah. In my defense, there were also 12 bands there that were not Kid Rock. <laughs> I wasn't being judgmental. I was just stating it as a fact. You've seen them in concert. Yes, I have. But yeah, like, yeah. Anyway. And finally, Daniel Dumoulin, born January 9th in London, is better known by his stage name, MF Doom. He is a U.S.-based rapper, <laughs> songwriter, and record producer based out of Long Island, New York. Best known for his supervillain stage persona and unique lyrics, Dumoulin has taken on several stage names in his career. He has appeared in several collaborative product projects, such as Mad Villain with Mad Lib, Danger Doom with Danger Mouse, Doom Starks with Ghostface Killer, JJ Doom with Genario Jarrell, <laughs> Neruvian Doom, aha, with Bishop Nehru, and Zarface meets Metalface with Zarface. Uh, I'm actually a pretty big fan of MF Doom. And I've never Andrew heard of Doom. him. You yeah. haven't heard of him? Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah, he's he's not nerdcore, but he's nerdcore adjacent, which is how I ran into him through Danger Doom. Gosh, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't heard of that. I've never heard of any of these people. Collaboration. I, I mean, I've heard of Danger Mouse. I don't even know any of their music or anything, but I mean, I don't know. And Ghostface Killer, obviously I've heard of him. Wu-Tang! Yeah. But I've, I've literally never even listened to a Wu-Tang song on my own. Oh, really? Just, yeah, but I've you've heard a, them. Yeah, I've heard a couple of their songs. I couldn't pick them out. of. Protect I, I, your I, neck, Pat. I couldn't. I could. If you put, if you put four rappers in a, in a room with me, I couldn't tell you if any of them were in Wu Tang. Well, chances are, if you pick four I mean, rappers, I'm they gonna, probably I'm have guess been. They probably are. Yeah. <laughs> There's like 38 members, so right. Know. I know that much. Yes. But I mean, I don't know any of them. I know their na- I know some of their names, and I know a couple of their songs, but I I've just. And, I don't know. Just never been a fan. RZA, Jizza, Ghostface, Killer, Inspect yeah. the Deck, Yellow Man, Old Dirty Bastard. Uh, Red Man, Method Man. Yeah, I know those names and everything. Capadonna. Like, like if no. you played a, if you, if you, if you played one of their like you know songs that never got radio play or anything, I would never know it. That's fair. 
All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Love Story in the middle of its nine-week run. Aw. Never seen that never, movie. That means either. never meet, having to say you're sorry. I was going to say, I've, I've seen it on stage. I own it. Really? Well, it was my dad's. Uh, so I know I, the title. I inherited it. Born on January 15th, Regina King is an actress who came to attention in the 80s with a part on 227 before landing roles in Friday and Jerry Maguire. She also appeared in The Boondocks in Southland. Her acclaimed performance in If Beale Street Could Talk earned her the Golden Globe and the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. It's impressive. Neat. And timely. Just talking about 227. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting to put in there, yeah. Uh, Kermit Maynard was an actor and stuntman, often billed as Tex Maynard early in his career. He appeared in 280 films between 1927 and 1962, most of them cowboy and or Western themed. In the mid to late 1930s, Maynard starred in 18 ambassador production films. After the last film for them, Roaring Six Guns, he resumed doing stunt work and acting in supporting roles. Maynard also competed as a writer in rodeo competition in as a writer in rodeo competitions in 1933 he won a pacific coast trick riding championship in the pendleton roundup on january 16th manor died at his home in north hollywood california from a heart attack at 72 years old giddy up i mean i figure man man's been in almost 300 films he deserves a mention for sure yeah. I, i'd actually heard of him yeah, I've heard the name. I don't, I, again, couldn't pick him out of a lineup. And I couldn't have told you that he was a stuntman. He was yeah. in Wu-Tang, actually. <laughs> That's not true. Mary J. Blige, American R&B singer, songwriter, and actress, was born in New York on January 11th. I was so glad to see her in the Umbrella Academy. Right? She did a great job, too. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Jeremy Renner was born on January 7th. Originally, he appeared largely in independent films, but he got supporting roles in SWAT and 28 Weeks Later, which started him on a path to being a Hollywood star. Renner was then nominated for the Academy Awards for his uh, performances in The Hurt Locker in The Town. However, he is most known for playing Hawkeye in the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. He also appeared in The Bourne Legacy, American Hustle, and the Mission Impossible movies. He's pretty damn good in The Bourne movies. Pretty damn good in everything. Yeah, I like, time, I like Jeremy Renner. Yeah. The first time I saw him was in uh, a film called Jeffrey Dahmer, or it was just called Dahmer, and he played Jeffrey Dahmer, and this was kind of early on, and I was like, huh, this dude, if he can uh, keep going, he might be something. And look at him now. He heard you. I he think did. SWAT was the first time I saw him. He was like, thanks, Joel. <laughs> I wish. All right, TV. The top shows in the land are Marcus Welby, MD, The Flip Wilson Show, Here's Lucy, and Ironside. That uh, is that. a wacky mix. Four new shows. Yeah. I know we've never had The Flip Wilson Show or Ironside on. We had Flip Wilson once. Really? Yeah, but not Ironside, no. What is Ironside? I don't remember that. It's about a detective who was in a wheelchair. Yep. I had an awesome theme song. That's about all I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. that's all I'm. Yeah. All right, so that was exciting. <laughs> Good all old right. Ironside. So uh, Richard Tompkins Colmar was an American stage, radio, film, and television actor, television personality, and Broadway producer. 
busy man, known professionally <laughs> as Dick. There's a reason I, in I included this guy because this is, I mean, prepare yourself. This is a long paragraph. This guy did a shit ton of shit. <laughs> okay. Known professionally as Dick. His great-great-grandfather was Daniel D. Tompkins, the fourth governor of New York and sixth vice president of the United States. Jeez. After getting steady work on radio commercials, Colmar appeared in Broadway musicals Knickerbocker Holiday and Too Many Girls. Is that possible? <laughs> the latter's cast in included a 22-year-old Desi Arnaz. He had Ooh. roles on radio shows, mainly Pretty Kitty Kelly, and also including the soap opera Bright Horizon, and who can forget, Grand Central Station. Colmar produced and directed dozens of Broadway stage plays starting in 1943 when he helped launch Early to Bed. It was a production noted for hiring jazz pianist composer Fats Waller. This is the first instance of a black music director on Broadway. From 1945 to 1963, Colmar and Dorothy Killigan, whom he married in April 1940, began hosting a 40-minute, I'm sorry, 45-minute breakfast radio show called the acronym of the week, which is BWDAD. I'm pretty sure that's just Betty White doing a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> she was far too young for that at that point. For 45 minutes for a <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> I was hoping someone would point that out. I was That's cracking impressive. myself up with that one. <laughs> I am impressed. No, that is a uh, breakfast with Dorothy and Dick. He's not that far off. Eh, he's pretty far off. <laughs> Considering she was like three. I just spit on myself. Yes, I you did. We know. All right. So the weekday program was broadcast from the couple's 16 room Park Avenue apartment. <laughs> just 16? Can you imagine how much a Park Avenue 16-room apartment would cost? Now or then? Both? Yeah. Uh, over the breakfast... The price for back then would still be expensive now. That's... <laughs> <laughs> over breakfast, served by their butler, Julius, the couple talked about New York City entertainment, celebrity gossip, and the city's nightclub scene, and sometimes chatted with sports figures. The show was broadcast locally throughout New York City and in its suburbs, drawing an average audience of 20 million listeners. Damn. That's why I had to include this, because if you got 20 million fucking people listening to your, you have breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You're I somebody. Love, like, I love it when the when the bacon's just kind of chewy like that. That's my like th th this is basically like like the Harvey Weinstein of the 1940s, apparently. Jeez. All right, so. Uh, I lost my place. In 1948, in Colmar made his first and only film appearance in Close Up. He hosted a live television variety series, Broadway Spotlight, and was the master of ceremonies for the game show Guess What? Take Colmar made five appearances on the game show What's My Line, on which his wife was a regular panelist. When not active in acting and producing, Colmar operated in a New York City supper club called The Left Bank. I know that place. I've heard of that place. He also opened an art gallery in Midtown Manhattan. He died peacefully in his sleep on January 7th, and then after that, the next week, he produced three more TV shows. <laughs> right? I am crazy jealous of this man. <laughs> this man is the reason you can do nothing. Right? He did it. He did everything. Like this This was a very. This was a renaissance man for sure. Good God. Yeah. That's impressive. That is a man who knows, knows how to keep boredom at bay. I mean... That's that's literally that's that's like Game of Thrones numbers. Twenty million people listening to your show. Well, that's most in New York back then too. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be like almost the entire city. That's a that's a cultural event. 
For 18 years, they had a weekly show that got 20 million listeners. (laughs) And all they did was was talk. Talk at breakfast. (laughs) To their butler sometimes, too. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're missing, a butler. (laughs) Oh, we need a butler. (laughs) Well, there's a butler. (laughs) Ah, I see Ah. what you did there. Yeah. Moving on to sports. Jason Gilbert Jambi, born January 8th, is a former MLB first baseman and designated hitter. In his career, he played for the Oakland Athletics, New York Yankees, Colorado Rockies, and Cleveland Indians. Jambi was the AL MVP in 2000 while with the Athletics and was a five-time All-Star. He also won the Silver Slugger Award twice. And was on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay, I'm going to jump in here real quick. Uh, with the population of New York in 1940 oh, was 7,454,995 people. So he had all of New York listening then. The entirety of New York suburbs. And all its suburbs. Yeah. And as far as that radio show would go. Well, is that all the boroughs or is that just New York, like downtown? That is includes all five boroughs. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty much the whole state then. Jesus. Crazy pants. Uh, next in sports, uh, William Friedrich Schroeder, born January 9th, is a former wide receiver in the NFL. He attended Sheboygan South High School <gasps> and then went on to the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Schroeder's athleticism, he had a 4.26 second 40 yard dash and a 44 inch vertical leap. Damn. Yeah. Well, those both drew the attention of NFL scouts, and he was drafted in the sixth round of the 1994 NFL draft by the Green Bay Packers, despite not even playing football in college. <laughs> Schroeder went on to play 10 seasons in the NFL, and he was affectionately known as the Sheboygan Flash and Pro Bowl Bill to Packers fans. Sheboygan Jesus is my man. favorite kind of Boygan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was basically like he made, you know, like made the team, never really played a whole lot, but he was a fan favorite. And it lasted for 10 years, so good on him. And still probably, well, not probably, still could beat just about anybody's ass in football. Like It's amazing. Like, you think about the professional sports, and the guys that don't even play are, like, 100 times better than, you know, even the best player that you know. (laughs) Crazy. Moving on. On January 12th at the 21st NBA All-Star Game, West beat East 108-107. to The MVP was Lenny Wilkins of the Seattle Supersonics. He is the oldest MVP in all-star history at 33 years old. Ancient. For some professional sports, 33 is starting to get there, yeah. Yeah, unless yeah. you're talking golf. Right, yeah, <laughs> golf, there is no age limit. And lastly, actually, funny funny thing about golf is the older you get, the more money you make. Because the seniors tours make so much more money than the, the, the master's. It's because, I mean, the Masters are finally starting to catch up, like the younger. But I mean, it used to be back in the day, like you know, you 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 only played in the Masters as a twenty, thirty year old, so you could finally get to the seniors. Hmm. Yep. It's because in between the games, there's a large portion of the society in golf like hiring killers for each other. That's how come there's so few old golfers. 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 <laughs> oh, we're talking about golf, not golf. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, it's forget anything that. I said. Yeah, it's... <laughs> pew pew pew. And lastly, in the tweet on January seventeenth at Super Bowl five at the Miami Orange Bowl, the Baltimore Colts beat the Dallas Cowboys sixteen to thirteen, and the MVP was Chuck Howley. Woo! <laughs> oh, 
Jesus. I feel bad. That was a Joel joke. I apologize to everybody. Yeah, we all apologize. Yeah, for Joel. Even I stifled that. Yeah. Yeah. I stifled it, huh? (laughs) The apology is 286 episodes late. (laughs) All right. But anyway, that's the end of the tweet. Check us out. Keyboard Joel. That was very lackluster. So All in the Family came out uh, 1971, lasted until 1979. Uh, started and it was it was the number one show for almost all of those years. Oh, yeah. Bopping around with Maud and... Well, all Maud the- was... Uh, Jefferson's and All in the Family and uh, Sanford and Son pretty much dominated the top three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the- they talk about the audience for this show. It is difficult to overstate the amount of the population who owned a TV that watched this every single week. Yeah. It was, this was almost a, a hundred percent viewership across America. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just crazy to even think about. Well, it uh, spawned multiple spinoffs. Like I said, the, uh, the Jeffersons came from this along with uh, Archie Bunker's place, which picked up where all in the family ended and then ran for four more seasons until 1983. Yeah, how many spinoff shows can you think of? I mean, there's a handful, but well, I mean, have... Jefferson's Maud, because um, Maud was um, what's her name, sister. Yeah. Uh, what else? Well, I mean, Archie Bunker's sequel. place, as you just said. Archie Bunker's place, That's which three. was Good Times, directly spun off. Uh, Good Times was Norman Lear, but it wasn't a spinoff. No. Uh, I think it's just the three. Okay. I still think Happy Days is the number one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have. There's a spinoff of just about every everything from Mark and Mindy to Joni Loves Chachi was in that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a lot of crossover in it. I mean, characters that were in Good Times did wind up in All in the Family, and that that was seemed to be a bigger thing then than it is now. Doing crossovers well, or spinoffs? Crossovers. I think part of that is that there were fewer options for entertainment. So like doing a crossover event there, mm. like people are like, I love the Marvel cinematic universe and how big like the crossover potential is, but it's one of thousands of entertainment options. When Maul and the family came out, it was one of like four. <laughs> yeah. Plus it was a good way to promote your other shows too. Mm. And they probably were recording like just down the block from each other. But, uh, yeah, this show is actually modeled after a British TV show called Till Death Do Us Part with Archie Bunker, modeled after uh, a guy named Alf Garnet from uh, from that show. Good old Alf. Yep. Ha! ha! <laughs> we went for the same joke. Yeah, that's he, twice now. He killed yeah. him. Are you getting better or am I getting worse? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Now I'm modeling after Pat. <laughs> oh, God, they're all going downhill. So this show has two wins and 73 nominations of different Golden Globes and Daytime Emmys. 73 nominations just for individual I can't believe it's episodes. only two wins. I know, right? That is a little crazy to think it was only two. I mean, what else was there? Especially during the daytime. Just game shows. My stories. So Ooh, which reminds me, they're rebooting uh, Let's Make It, uh, Press Your Luck. 
Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I was super excited to see that. As we talked about way back in our game shows episode. With 85% less cheatability. Oh, I think it's a little bit more than that. Until they find it. <laughs> yep. Right. So uh, the episode that we watched was season four, episode six, Henry's Farewell. Uh, it's because it matches up with the one that just got released uh, this Wednesday. Louise is planning a farewell party for Henry, who is moving away to start his own business. The problem is that she can't get George to attend because he won't set foot in a white man's house. So through a mangle of miscommunication, she manages to get Edith to agree to host a party at the, her house. And of course, during the party, Archie has to give his full opinion on the proceedings and of Henry's new venture. George reluctantly arrives to give his brother a farewell toast. That is a IMDb statement from a one Jerry Roberts. Not very well uh, done either. I mean, it's it's it gets the major points, but I mean, well, it's better than the IMDb. The one. problem is that she can't get George to attend because he won't set foot in a white man's house. Well, the party was at their house first. Well, yeah, yeah, the party was at their house first, and then he didn't want to have it. He didn't want a uh, integrated integrated party. Right. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want yeah. an integrated right. party in his house. But I'm just saying that that was the secondary problem. The first yeah. problem was, you know, but anyway. Yeah, this was a super interesting episode, just like from a production standpoint, because George was supposed to be in the show from the beginning, but Sherman Hemsley wasn't available. So they wrote the character of Henry Jefferson as a stand-in until Sherman Hemsley suddenly became available to work. Right. Although Henry Jefferson appeared in season one um, as he was pretending to be um, George when uh, – they came over to have dinner with them after just after they moved in. Yeah, he was originally cast as George Jefferson, and then they found Sherman Hemsley, and they decided just to kind of go with that. You know, no, I mean he was he was literally standing in for George. Well, I know that. Uh, I'm telling you, yeah. and and, and after, they had already cast Sherman Hemsley at that point, but they decided they didn't want to get rid of the actor, so they just kind of created it. Another character. Yeah, George Jefferson's brother for him. But like George Jefferson was constantly mentioned. As like this unseen figure, what what would he even look like? Right. Up to this point, and this was the debut of like people finally getting to see him. Well, was... I mean, I, I wonder if they were going to try and do like one of the very first, uh, you know, Vera Norm's wife, you know, where they just always talk about a character, but you never meet him. And then they finally decided, you know, that they had to just put him on, you know, put the character on screen. I wonder. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm just guessing. And think about it. They They bought the house two doors down from them. In the first season, and he didn't actually appear until the fourth. Yep. yep. Well, and they comment on that, too, with Archie talking about, there he is in the house, always creeping around, and they're like some uh, fan of the opera, you know, paying nod to the fact that they haven't actually seen what this guy looks like yet by season yeah. four. And, and I would bet that people were surprised because they expected the uh, episode to end without you ever seeing his face. Mm-hmm. When that door opens, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are delighted and surprised. Well, let's get let's get to uh, through the the, ca- the cast list, and then I've got some trivia oh, sure, at the bottom. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So uh, this is directed by Bob Lahendro and John Rich. Writing credits: Norman Lear. And if you don't know who Norman Lear is, chances are you do not realize that you have watched multiple, if not all, of your TV has come from him. <laughs> at least if you're anywhere near our age and American. Like I yeah. can see some of our international listeners being like Norman who? Yeah. And he I mean he pretty much is the founder of of the modern day sitcom. I mean before all in the family, you know, nobody really talked about issues or anything. It was just basically 
plots of 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 your comedies were basically like a married couple doing married couple things and arguing like the honeymooners that yeah. kind of stuff or like friends doing friend things it wasn't like everyday life and people you know talking about it wasn't a slice of life type thing sitcoms no. or, or they were more slice of life and not more topical driven like they it was became like somebody the, stole the beaver's pie right i mean it was it was much more like just slice of life type <laughs> vignettes rather like than that. you know topical conversation driven comedy yeah so uh, some of the stuff that Norman Lear has done that you may be familiar with uh, that is not all in the family, but he did Good Times, One Day at a Time, Maud, and a very little-known show, uh, Fernwood Tonight. That I've was never out. even heard of that. Oh, that is the debut of Martin Mull and Fred Willard. Huh. 42 episodes. It is a, a sketch comedy show. Well. Yeah. Who doesn't like Fred Willard? There. Oh wait, no, uh, no, no, no. This isn't. This isn't. I'm thinking of something different. Man. I'm thinking of the Canadian. There's a Canadian show. This is uh, Martin Mull's a game show, uh, talk show host. But yeah, Martin Mull and Fred Willard. It's actually really good. If you ever get a hold of so it, you've seen it. Yeah, it's. I mean, Martin Mull at his, in his youth with still not having any hair. <laughs> but um, no, a lot of stuff. I mean, he, his his movie stuff goes all the way back to the 50s uh all the way down to the original colgate comedy hour you know that's where he began his stuff he really cut his teeth on uh on good tv and then just kept making it uh don nickel uh this episode was written by him uh who's also done stuff for obviously the jeffersons and also three's company a couple other uh shows like that that's what i want to see them remake have they done Biggest that? Is new. No, not yet. Uh, I'm surprised, though. Well, we'll talk about that, because I, I think that this remake experiment is going to have us see some of that kind of stuff coming back around. Yeah. For sure, yeah. I think I think it's going to... There's going to be another resurgence of TV shows, which means more shows for us, so thank you! Absolutely. Everyone bitches about all of these remakes, and it's just like, yeah, we get to go for another year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever run out of content, to be honest. And then Johnny Spite, who uh, was actually the creator of Death to, to Death to His Part over in Great Britain, uh, cast in credits order Carol O'Connor uh, as Archie Bunker. If you don't know him from this, you might know him from uh, in, he, in the Heat of the Night. Where he yep, played a I was just going to say. That was yeah, really... Seeing him in, in the, uh, the Heat of the Night was very weird to me. It was weird for everybody. Cause it was, I think so, yeah. I mean, because Bunker's Place went to 83, and then he didn't really have anything that much between then and there, except for some, uh, like, the, he did the voice of Santa Claus in the Glow Friends Save Christmas. Oh, Just, yeah, classic. Wow. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, talk about a role that, like, completely defines not only your career, but for him probably his life. Yeah, the Glow <laughs> Friends was big. It was really big. <laughs> Shut up. He said it. So, uh, and also uh, was in the uh, TV show Party of Five. As I don't the, remember him being on there. Yeah, Jacob Gordon was his, the character's name. <laughs> huh. So, long and storied career. Um, going before that, he was on Laughing. Uh, he was on uh, Death of a Gunfighter, Magical World of Disney. You know, he's his career started all the way back. God, scroll, 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 scroll. 1951, <laughs> where he played the white-headed boy. 
Oh, yeah. Oh. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> after that, Gene Stapleton as Edith Bunker. Just great. Oh, but Archie. Yeah, this is... That, that character basically was the glue that made this show possible. Without her, this show doesn't work. Well, she Absolutely. was Archie's foil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was, she was everybody's uh, opposite as far as like whenever she, whenever she was in a scene with anybody else, she played off of them perfectly. She was always the just wanting the to exact make peace. opposite of whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, you she know was, what I think. What do you think, Ma? I think we should all eat. I think we should eat. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like her little comments, she would always make. Like the writing for her was so great because. She would always be the one to undercut and humble Archie, and she never even was trying. It wasn't like she was she was the only one that could constantly just make him shut up. Yeah. And she didn't even she didn't even try. She she just she knew him so well and she knew all his secrets and all his everything and she could always just cut take him the off air out the of knees. him. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and well, ne- without him even trying. She just you know, like like you know, I never had a million men marching for me to get a job. No, your uncle got it for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And sometimes she has some of the, the the most intelligent, like thought-provoking things to say, and it's unintentional. Yeah, well, I think you know. she is her character is the innocence that's needed to make this make this show work. Yeah, for, like I said, for sure. With, without her, this 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 show doesn't work. Yeah, then it's just a bunch of angry people living in the same house together. Yeah, shouting her. at each other and right. yelling and never getting along and saying awful things to each other. And... <laughs> it's like the toast was warm when I made it. <laughs> and, uh, moving down, Rob Reiner, Michael Meathead Stivic. Uh, may know him from making good movies, Princess Bride. <laughs> also, one of the, one of the premier oh. comic directors in Hollywood right now, and being incredibly outspoken on anything activist related. Yeah. Yes, that's apparently he's still playing that character. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was a reason why he played Mike Stivic very well because that Mike Stivic is Rob Reiner. Then, or uh, did Rob Reiner become? Mike Stivic. Uh, no, that, I mean that, that was pretty it. much said, like from the beginning. Like you know, one oh. of the reasons why he got the part was because he is that guy. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe he became that guy because of the no. series. No, nope. interesting. He's always been a hippie. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Sally Struthers, who wants you to help buy food for African children. Is that the commercial she... that she always did? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, which is a surprise to me, because I at this point I thought that actually she was dead. I don't know why. No. She's still doing stuff. I thought Sally Struthers was dead. A very mm-hmm. small Sally Struthers. She is the most petite little thing in this. So, Yeah, she's still alive and well. Vincent Gardenia as Frank Lorenzo as a character in this show episode that I do not recall at all. Well, I mean, this was a thing with Norman Lear and any of the sitcoms of the time. Like the wacky neighbor who shows up, does a little bit, and then is gone. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of hee haw laugh in type stop ins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and because of the neighborhood, there's always neighbors that are coming by. Some of them stick around, some don't. It looks like for him, he was in ten episodes. It looks like, but he and played almost to three a man. Characters. None of the neighbors are just you know like Archie. Like he lives in a neighborhood where he's literally the only middle aged white collar bigot. <laughs> Everybody else is all like flamboyant or friendly or 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 a black bigot yeah or well, people of color or whatever just he's like somehow he can't find a single person in his whole neighborhood just to hang out and have a beer with who thinks the same way he does i think he chases a lot of them 
out or they get chased out because in the first season anyway, um, you know, he, they're starting to get a, a petition going and he has at least three other neighbors you run into during the course of the first season that are all just as bad as he is, including his bar drinking buddies. Right. Yeah. But um, it's not until he starts hanging out at the bar. It, yeah, exactly. They start to really kind of weed out and you see more of these kind of unique characters that are not thinking the same way as him. Well, well, let's get to, well, let's get down to him first. But we yeah. had Mike Evans as Lionel Jefferson, uh, Isabel Sanford as Louise Jefferson, Mel Stewart as Henry Jefferson, and then Sherman Hemsley as George Jefferson, or the Black Archie. Yes, I mean that was one thing. Is this was they wanted to show basically two characters that had similar worldviews and were similarly pigheaded, but from other sides of the cultural divide. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's- why he's so beloved and such a perfect part for the show. That's what was so brilliant about it is that you didn't get, because if it would have just all been one-sided, it it wouldn't have worked. But because you had it and you saw that it was on both sides of the fence. And it's kind of like with everybody, everybody's almost like a, a, like a caricature of what they're trying to play. You know, meathead is the liberal, I don't have a job living with my parents type of, type of guy. Sally Struthers is the feminist uh, stereotype. Edith is the ditzy housewife stereotype. I mean, you've got all these stereotypes working against each other with, well, and with Edith as like the, the anchor for all of them. But I think what I liked about this show was that everybody, there is no good guy in this show. Everyone's yelling at somebody for something else. And one of the, one of the things that I thought was interesting that they wrote into this was when Henry and Archie are talking about having a black president, and he makes a comment about having a black pope first, and then uh, Gloria comes over and starts talking about having a woman president, and both of them blow her off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the thing is, is while the show has a very particular bent in the side that it wants to present the fact that it does show multiple sides is what keeps it from being preachy. Mm -hmm. And what's brilliant about it is that you've got these two people that are completely diametrically opposed to each other, clearly because of, of racial divide, but then you bring up another, um, look down upon segment of society. And this, at this time, a woman, and all of a sudden they're all in with each other. And they think that, you know, yeah, it's There's just the, more try, trying to show the interesting dichotomy that, you know, even those that want to talk about how they're oppressed are still oppressing people. Yep. And that's that's the beauty of it. So well written. So yeah. some uh, uh And one of the one of the <clears throat> things about it be you know, like uh they frequently like the the four main writers were, you know, middle aged white guys and you know, they don't necessarily know the culture as well as they should as the writers. So like they were always very open to, you know, the actors sitting down and talking to him and be like, you know, no black people wouldn't say this. I wouldn't talk this way, whatever, blah, 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 you know, and, and like just able, you know, able to listen to your actors. And, you know, once they get a grip on who their characters are and, you know, I think that a, 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 an actor writer collaboration is much better than just a writer. Be like, no, write, read the words that are there. That's it. Yeah. That's how I wrote it. Yeah. Right, let's get some trivia then. Yeah, yep. get some trivia. This is the final appearance of Mel Stewart as the role of Henry Jefferson, as we had said before. And this is Sherman Hemsley's TV debut. Hmm. Yeah, first time on TV. 
So he had done movies before this, mm-hmm. but uh, but no. Uh, oh no! Wait, I take that back. Well, I think wasn't he a stage actor? Mm, well, this? if if there is, it's not listed. Nineteen seventy three is. Well, is I'm where, talking about like Broadway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't have anything on that one. On this one, he may have been, but uh, in film, film and television, this is his starring role. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, the election in California, referenced to by Henry and Archie, was a 1973 Los Angeles mayoral election between Tom Bradley and Sam Yorty. I tried to get more trivia on this, but there was a huge wall of text and I fell asleep. <laughs> and there was a lot going on about Democrats being angry about Democrats and being angry about this other thing. And the Republicans are angry about something. And then Kennedy and then Nixon. Oh, you mean specifically you were trying to get information yeah, on like what was trivia? going on? What, yeah. Oh, well, who yeah. cares about the election? Well, I mean, because yeah. I, I was curious because they, it was, obviously was something going on because they brought it up in the middle of the show that literally everybody in the nation watched. Well, yeah. But I mean, it was just a topical thing. Yeah. For the, you it know. was well, a thing. And it's, it was one thing we might have had to do a deeper dive, not to get too much into contemporary politics, but the time then was much like the time now with the country being polarized against itself and a presidency that was very controversial. That's as far as I'll go with that. But like, I almost think we don't need to delve too much to like, oh, what was it like back then? Because in a lot of ways it was like it is right now. Yeah, it, I mean, it's amazing just how topical many of the discussions that are happening in, in a show made in the early seventies are still relevant today. It just yeah. goes to show you that, you know, we still haven't fixed a lot of the problems that this country, you know, was trying to point a flashlight at, you know, way back then. That's more trivia. The, uh, Henry Jefferson was written out of the series to accommodate Mel Stewart, who was leaving the show to co-star in the short lived series roll out. I looked that up and roll out is a, TV series with drivers and other largely African-American staff at the U.S. Third Army's Red Ball Express during World War II try and squeeze into life and a few laughs and dealing with the Army and being thousands of miles from hometown and families. I have never heard of that. It lasted wow. 12 episodes. That's why. There you go. So that's all the trivia I have for this, uh, for this episode. Um, there is more about the show in general, but a question, first viewing for any of us? No. This particular episode, I can't be sure because it's probably been 25 years since I've watched an episode. I am in the same boat with you. I'm like, I'm relatively certain I've seen this before, but it's just been so long since I've since I've had regular TV on in the background, just watching it. That uh, I'm pretty sure I saw it, but I just need you know had to have a refresh. I mean, when I regularly watched All in the Family, I don't think I was of the age where I could appreciate it. That's how long it's been. Oh, no. I was always waiting for the toilet flush upstairs. <laughs> yeah, I've been a fan of this show for for many years. I've watched probably every episode at least once. Um, there might be some I've missed. I'm not a, you know entirely sure. But, uh, yeah, I, ever since I was uh, young, my, my father watched this. You know, I mean, one of the main reasons I liked watching this is because it always just made me uh, made me reminisce about my grandfather. <laughs> Like my grandfather was, you know, like like many people, my grandfather was basically Archie Bunker. Yeah, so, mine too. You know, he was looked like yes. him too. Yeah, so I mean, I've I've always been a fan of this show. I don't know necessarily like my you know twelve year old self when I was watching this show understood everything I was watching, but I did understand 
like the message that we're trying to send and the, you know, the importance of it and just the whole, you know, I don't know. It, it was the, the, the political debates, I think, are what really what kind of made me interested in the show from a young age, really. Well, and I'm kind of in the same boat as the rest of you. I mean, when I watched it, when I was a kid, I didn't understand anything other than there was a laugh track and it was a show that was on, you know? Right. Um, so this is the first time I've sat down and watched it as an adult. I don't think I've seen it kind of like Josh. I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Um, and I watched more than this one episode just cause I wasn't sure at that time. Yeah. Which I watched the, a bunch of them too. So what they were doing. So, uh, but it was, it was interesting going back to see it. Like I said earlier, it's just as relevant now as it was in 1971. Much funnier than I remember. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. Like I, I remember this being the kind of show you might like smile at or occasionally chuckle. I was laughing out loud watching this one and a little surprised at that fact. Huh? Well, and I said it in the chat um, during the course of the week, but Gene Stapleton, in my opinion, really steals the show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for me, anytime she says something, I'm like all ears. I just want to hear what she's got to say. Which is why when, you know, they wrote off Edith's character, you know, because she wanted to leave. They they killed off Edith in the end of All in the Family just to start Archie's place. And it just, it it lost everything. Like, not having Edith there to be Archie's foil really just kind of, even though they softened up Archie with the whole, like, you know, I can't remember the girl's name, but the daughter, you know, the, the girl that he was watching over. They softened him up, but it's still just... Like without the dynamic of of Gloria, Mike, or Edith around, Archie's not an interesting character. He's just a bitter old man at that point. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to watch a show about me, you know. <laughs> well, and speaking of Edith, I don't, I, I don't remember very many episodes of this series, but the one that I will never forget is the one where she is it's nearly assaulted. sexually assaulted. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. one of the the most talked about and, episodes. Yeah. Now, in watching through them, one of the episodes about Edith that I really enjoyed was the one where she goes to um, uh, jury duty. Jury duty one. That I mean, <laughs> that was when she's like, I've, you know, when she, I, 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 I called it. I don't recall seeing that one forever, but I'm watching it with uh, my wife, and she was like, "Where do you think she's going?" I'm like, she's living it up at the hotel. She loves having somebody cook for her for once. That's what she's yep. doing. But that, I mean, Edith is. I don't want to say even a better character than Archie, but you can't, like you said before, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, she's not a better character. Archie is honestly one of the better characters ever made in television just because he's, I mean, but but like I said, he can't be alone. I mean, he he has to have characters to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. And that, that mean, jury duty episode was the one that I was talking about, Mike, that she had some of the best lines, uh, the, the most wisdom, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and proved to be right. Although she can't talk about it because the judge told her not to, even after the case <laughs> is over. Surely the case is over. Well, he didn't say. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's, I mean, I can definitely see, you know, watching this, that I can see why they did this as a one shot for the, for the now. Because I can see a lot of people that would just go berserk on some of the things that went on this show nowadays. It's just like you can't make you can't make blazing saddles nowadays. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Like their standards and practices would consider everything about the show too controversial to, to like say out loud. Everything would have. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So well, can you even imagine? I mean, just, just the amount of racial derogatory terms in one episode is more than you'll hear in most shows <laughs> during an entire season anymore but it all had a purpose it wasn't just there to to say the words it it all served a purpose yeah n- none of the common comments that were made on the show were ever done for shock value and, and it's a, it's important to note that never in the run of the entire show was archie ever shown as the winner, the victor, the the guy who won the debate, the guy who's right. He, I mean, he's always seen as you know the buffoon and the you know, the guy who loses the debate, who, the guy who doesn't understand, the guy who isn't smart enough to know you know why his viewpoints are wrong, all that kind of stuff. So, and nowadays, it wouldn't even matter. You know, it's like because nobody wants to look at the message anymore. All they want to look at is is the words. Hmm. Yeah, it was so much fun. I, I don't know. Well, we'll get to that. And I was about to move past into the second half of the show. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even though he had, you know, a very one-sided view of the world and everything was based on, you know, how he was raised, you he still got along with and was fr- like um, Lionel. You know, every time Lionel came over, he may have said things that were kind of offensive, but Lionel took it all in stride and gave it right back. And you could tell that they were actually friends, even though there was always that kind of, well, you're different than me um, attitude that he had. And well, I mean, Arch, it's, it's important to distinguish in Archie's character the difference between being a bigot and being a racist. I mean, he, he's definitely a racist, but I mean, most of his views, most of what he says are bigoted statements. They're not necessarily like they're not they're not seated in hate. They're just seated in misinformation and. And and, and misunderstanding of, you know, like he's quoting different things that he read about different studies. So it's obviously not like he's just completely ignorant. He just doesn't understand how to understand what he read. Yeah, he's never talking about it. Right. And he's not like, you know, we need to go get a lynch mob together. Yeah, he never wants to do violence towards (laughs) anybody of color. He just doesn't want to be around him. Doesn't. Right. Yeah. You stay over here. I stay over here and we'll be fine. Right. And that's, he, that's what I say, the, the difference between being straight up racist versus being bigoted. He doesn't like wish harm to anybody. He just wants to be left alone. He right. wants he wants complete segregation. He promotes an attitude that makes it easier to normalize harm. For sure. He doesn't want to do it himself. Yeah, he, he, he definitely would be a guy that, you know, wouldn't stop it or wouldn't, you know, champion against hurting anybody. But he's not going to do it himself. Right. Well, and it crosses not only races, but uh, in the first season, I keep going back to because I, I watched it. Um, he finds out that one of his best buddies at the bar that used to be a football player is gay. And, you know, that kind of changes his opinion on what a gay man is, because the guy that he's so sure is gay, even the, the gay man says, no, he's not. He's just, you know, very effeminate. And, you know, here's his this guy that's six foot four and can take Archie out in a, in a, you know, with just one finger. And yet he's the guy that, you know, he's swishy or whatever. 
So it, it crosses not only racial boundaries, but, you know. But that, I mean, that, that's a, that's a typical uh, thing in anybody that has any kind of uh, <clears throat> backwoods thought about what, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's race, whether it's sexual orientation, whether it's anything, religion, whatever it is, if you don't know any people of that ilk for lack of a better word, you know, then it's very easy just to dismiss it and call it something, you know, lesser than human or whatever, or just anything. But like, as soon as you, as soon as you meet a gay man and you're like, Hey, you're not so bad. Suddenly you're like, well, you know, they're all bad except for this one. You know, it's like, it's, it's just about, you know, the more Archie gets exposed to the things that he thinks he hates, he starts figuring out. It's like, they're not so bad. <laughs> and that's kind of where Lionel was a, a, a great character. Cause even though he was an African-American guy, he's all right, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's not like Archie is a complete idiot. He realizes occasionally that Lionel's making fun of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he comments on it. That guy can't, you know, he won't be, he never takes anything seriously. You know, he knows that he's being dogged on before. Um, I One thing I did not recall from in watching this is the amount of Jew bashing that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're moving up to where? Man, they won't even let the Hebes in there. And I'm yeah. like, like I was watching it with my mom, and she's like, Hebes. I'm like, yeah, the Hebrews. Hebes. Yeah, that's what that is. Like, yeah. Don't well, recall that. This is, this is the time when you're talking about like whiteness, where uh, Jews and the Polish were not necessarily considered white. We're probably only a generation into the Irish being considered white. Right. And even then, I think he he talks about the spicks and the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, it's oh, he's always on uh, Meathead for being a Pollock. Oh, the Pollock, this Pollock, that sort of thing. You know, and that's kind of where the you know the Pollock jokes come from, that sort of thing. So the whole is a dumb Pollock. <laughs> There's the one episode where he gets arrested. Um, yep. <laughs> and when when he's get, when he's getting processed and everything, he. Uh, makes a crack at Mike about being a big, dumb Polak. And that's when he finds out the guy that's signing his release papers is, you know, officer Pulaski. Oh, geez. <laughs> and so he ends up having to stay in jail just a little bit longer because. Yeah. Pulaski sends his paperwork to be typed up by the guy that only has one finger. <laughs> He's like, it'll only take like three or four more hours. You'll be out in no time. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's the show was. I was a hundred percent ready to sit down and watch this and be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I actually thought this was funny," because it's been so long since I've seen it. But in retrospect, it's a lot deeper than I ever knew it would be. Yeah, well, like what, like I said, one of the reasons that it it doesn't suffer from you know seventies pacing or any kind of anything, and then why it still you know resonates today is because it's still. Topical. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the theme song a little bit? <laughs> first off, what a yeah. First of all, what a what a just manifesto of Archie's <laughs> of, of Archie's head. Like, all all talking about how uh, things. Oh, I wish things were the way they used to be. I mean, how many times you hear that even nowadays? You know, people talking about how oh, back in the day, the way things. You, you know, it's funny. It's a great song. What do you want to say about it? I've, as I'm embarrassed to say this, but I had no idea that it was G.R. Old LaSalle Rangrate. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Most people didn't know what the hell they were saying there. Yeah, I thought they were like referring to somebody. Gro Lasalle. I, I mean, to the point where I actually looked up to see who Gro Lasalle was. Yeah, you're you're well, you, back, back in the day. That was during the show. It was an actual thing. Like people were like, "What the hell are they saying?" <laughs> it's like Louis Louis. Yeah. <laughs> So, but no, I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's another one of those that has been just, I don't say it's, it's monumental for the, I mean, you start to hear that song coming out and you know exactly what it is. And now actually, uh, Edith and Archie's chair are in the uh, Smithsonian. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I was wondering when, during the, the, uh, the live version, the, the now, if they actually used the real chairs, I was, oh, yeah, I was wondering that too. I crossed my mind at one point. They let them loose because <laughs> they would have had to take them out of the Smithsonian. Yeah, yeah. that's why I was thinking it. You know, I was like, I wonder if they under guard out. and lock and key and everything. Um, well, I having not seen it since I was a kid and going back to it, I was kind of in the same place. I was like, I don't know what to expect, and I have to say, I'm more than pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Nice going back to it. It, I mean, it really is just a, a great show. It's well written, well acted. I think a lot of people are, because it's in the news now, going to rediscover it and go back and watch it. And I think that's a really good thing. I think it's nice that Norman Lear is going to get one last final, you know, attaboy before he kicks off. Yeah, that man looks young. old. <laughs> but he's still got his faculties. Yeah. Yep. He it's, definitely does. Jimmy Kimmel said he's 96. Yeah, I, I, I love the one line he had about, you know, I watch this stuff to, to, to get involved, to get into it, you know, and that's what it, what happened, you know, during, oh, wait, I've, I've gone to the now, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, like, I mean, the line in the song, in the theme song, you know, uh, girls were girls and men were men. Like, how often do you hear that complaint even nowadays? You know, like people, you know, with the whole LGBTQ movement, everybody's always talking about how, you know, binary genders and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it, 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 that, that conversation hasn't gone away. It's gotten more intense. So well, I think yeah. for sure that this is going to, I mean, this show is definitely going to see a resurgence. I think that, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's great. It's, it's getting some, getting some press. All right. So we're about time to take a break on this. Uh, yeah, I think we're uh, probably ready to take I a break. I think it's time for a break, huh? When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, Live Before a Studio Audience uh, remake of uh, Henry's Farewell. And the last thing that I will say before we go to break uh, is one of my favorite things that my father used to do when I was younger was whenever my mother would start bitching about something, he would always do like one of the Archie pantomimes about, you know, hanging himself or loading a gun and shooting himself. All I got is a, the gun one is so fucking funny. But my, my father would literally sit there and do that. And it would make my mom so mad. <laughs> he just, uh, yeah, the, uh, that one and the hanging one are both fantastic. All right. We will be back in a little bit and we are going to talk about, in front of a live studio audience. All right, so as of yesterday, All in the Family, live before a studio audience, Henry's Farewell was aired on ABC. Um, where we kind of got to see which actors and actresses know what to do 
in front of a live studio audience when everything is live. <laughs> some some things happened. Um, this was a literal. A pro, this is probably our most genuine, a hundred percent then and now, because it is a literal word for word redo of the original show. Yep. Yeah, and I didn't know that until we were preparing for the show that they were going to use the original scripts and the original sets. Yeah, which they made a point at the beginning. They're like. Nothing was rewritten. Nothing was touched up. This is the exact script that was originally broadcast in the original episode. Mm-hmm. So shut up with your letters. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your tweets to yourself. I've heard, I haven't really heard anybody say anything uh, bad yet. I uh, know. Twitter was really happy with this. I, I whenever there's a event TV, that's about all I use Twitter for, really. Mm-hmm. And that I was reaction. keeping an eye on mm-hmm. it, and it it seems like everybody was just really down with it. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, I know we haven't gone over the cast yet, but the guy who did uh, who played Mike was great. I like I, I like him, and he did a great role, great job playing Stivic. But we'll get there. Yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah get there. we'll get there. Let's get there. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> this one was directed by James Burrows. Uh, he is done Cheers, Taxi, Frasier, Will and Grace. Um, you know, just all the great shows. Again, writing credits to Norman Lear and Don Nickel, as we said before. But this one, the cast, has been shook up a little bit. Marisa Tomei as Edith. Okay, so when I heard this announced, I was skeptical. I know she's a great actress. But I was like, really? Yeah, I was 100% skeptical. She was the only one that I straight up said. I was like, I don't like that casting. Holy crap, did she kill it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, man. I... I I thought she was trying way too hard to be Gene Stapleton. Huh. See, I, I don't know. Maybe that was her take on the character that was just uh, uh, similar to the original portrayal. But I thought she just stole every scene she was in. I, I was 100% behind her as Edith. Let's, go, let's get through a couple oh, Let's more. keep going. Yeah. The, yeah, Woody go, Harrelson go as Archie. Uh, Ellie Kemper as Gloria. Jamie Foxx as George uh, Jefferson, Ike Barinholtz as Mike, Anthony Anderson as Henry, Wanda Sykes as Louise, Sean Hayes as Frank, and Jovan Adpedo as Lionel. Who uh, was most recently in The Babysitter, which is a horror comedy, and he killed it. It was kind of fun to see him in this role, too. Yeah, he's in uh, Overlord. Oh, and Jack Ryan. Tell us he's in a in a horror comedy, and you tell us he's the killer. No, I didn't say he was the killer. <laughs> I know I was. That was a Joel joke. Oh, it's getting worse all the time. Yeah, your sp- your jokes are spreading apparently tonight. Finally, my virus has taken hold. <laughs> Only took twenty six years. Twenty six years later. <laughs> this talk about the slow burn, <laughs> right? Twenty six years later, I don't feel too good. <laughs> <laughs> No, Mr. I Joel, do. I don't feel too good. I feel so good. So this was, in place of trivia, we can talk about how this was a passion project of Jimmy Kimmel, bringing this to TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, the making of this was really kind of interesting because they wanted to make sure that even though some of the portrayals, like you say, Marissa Tomei's in particular was, and Jamie Foxx's, I would say, were very close to aping the originals. It was more than just like go out there and do an impression. It was like 
inhabit these characters, whatever that means to you. Yeah. I will agree. I didn't, I felt like they were doing homages more than impressions for sure. Well, and Wanda Sykes, who I know you're not a fan of, uh, her Louise was not the original Louise, but for me, it was a super believable portrayal of that character. I, I agree I, with I'm you not going to deny that. Yeah. I'm not going to deny that. I I'm not a Wanda Sykes fan. I wasn't really happy that she was going to be in this and all that kind of stuff. But I think honestly, she did one of the better roles out of all of it. I, I was very impressed with her. Yeah. I would, I did not expect to like her and I really did. Yeah. I was, I was, I'm not a big fan of Wanda Sykes and her stage act and all that, but in this one, she did pull that character off. Great. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like her in Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't really care for her stand up very much. I don't, I mean, I just don't like her. She just, for some reason, just somebody I don't like, whatever. But I, I thought she did a great job in this. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was a good casting choice for sure. Now her, I think, and Woody Harrelson, I think, got the closest. Huh. I. We're, we're going to be all over. In this. I, 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 I know we're going to be all over. I didn't dislike Woody. I just thought he was just okay. He was yeah, well, I mean, he, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't, I'm, yeah, exactly. I didn't dis. Okay, let's just, let's just I'm, go. I'm not saying let's he go was character great. By character. Let's, let's, let's go character by character because we have opinions on every one of them at the scene. Okay, so, so let's, start, let's, start, let's start with Archie. No, let's start with the, the main guy, Archie. Okay. Woody, Woody is Archie. What did, what did we think of him? I think his timing was off. I it think, was a little. It, it seemed like it was a little off. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think I I've, think Carol O'Connor carried the character better. I think he his I don't I, just something about the inflection of the way he did his rants. And he just he felt like he felt like he as an actor was uncomfortable trying to do Archie Bunker mannerisms. That's like, the thing. It's like he didn't little, know what to do with his hands. You know. Well, and the like whenever in the script he would have to do the huh. Yeah, he was doing a different version of the character that wouldn't say that. Right, right. You had to. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I felt like you know you're talking about kind of aping the original or mimicking or whatever. I, I thought he was trying a little too hard to be the character and not make the character his own. I would agree with that. Hmm. He, was, he was out of out of everybody. I felt like he was the one most doing an impression of. Of his of Carol O'Connor, like of the original actor, I felt like his was most. I'm trying to do this character. Oh, and, uh, and, J- uh, Jamie Fox. I'm sorry, Jamie Fox is doing well, George yeah. Jefferson with uh, okay. Parkinson's. Yeah, yeah, I will. I, I, I'll scratch that. Yeah, he he was we'll, fun we'll to there. watch, but I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, we'll get there on and him. I, Anybody else I have anything loved, about Archie before we move on? And I love Woody Harrelson. I mean, I, yeah, I, me too. Unabashedly love him as I'm an a huge actor. Fan of his, great, but. Um, and it wasn't even so much he was trying to to mimic Carol O'Connor; he was just trying to mimic the character. And yeah, it did. Like when he did the, hey, you know, it, it felt like like you guys had already said that it was it was forced. Mm-hmm. It was not natural. Whereas Carol O'Connor, it, it was part of the character. Yeah. Well, Carol O'Connor got so into the character from the beginning. I mean, he was he was balls to the wall, Archie Bunker. To the point where he became unpleasant to be around on the set. People used to talk, you know, the, the people on the on the set used to talk about it all the time. Like he got into fights with the writers and producers all the time because he started thinking that he knew Archie better than you know Norman Lear, and he would like <laughs> he, he would he literally on several occasions had like sit-ins in his you know lock in his uh locker room in his um 
room. His locker. <laughs> dressing room in his dressing room where he wouldn't come out because he's like, I'm not going to say those lines. Archie wouldn't say those, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so like, you know, towards the end, there was, there was a lot of real animosity between Carol O'Connor and Norman Lear. All right. Who you want to do next, Pat? I say, let's just go straight down the line. Uh, Edith. Yeah, keep Edith. going down. Yeah. Marissa Tomei is Edith. I thought, I don't know. I, th- I thought she couldn't find the character is what I felt like with her. Like she, she had the spirit and like the lines and the emotion down, but it's just, you know, the, the idea of this, you know, just put upon woman who just puts up with everything all the time and just always has a smile and always has a comment, you know, that is, is sarcastic, but isn't meant as sarcastic. I just, I don't, I didn't feel like she, she nailed Gene Stapleton's part. I just don't. I don't think she nailed Edith. It, it, it almost seemed like she was doing Edith with a wink and a nod. Uh, see, I couldn't disagree more with both of you. I, I thought she was the highlight of the entire cast. Hmm. Huh. Well, and for me, it felt like she was doing, and I, I don't get me wrong, I like Marissa Tomei. I, I felt like she was doing the high school version of All in the Family. Yeah, I, I felt like I was watching a high school drama that's woman geez. trying to act like an old lady. Honestly, that, that's what I felt. That's that's what I said to my. We, I watched it at my mom's house. I said to my mom, "It seems like I just watched a college presentation of this episode of All in the Family, where everybody watched a couple episodes of All in the Family and kind of skimmed the Wikipedia." And and you know, here's an Oscar award-winning actress who's proven herself time and time again to be able to do a lot of different things, but. I I suspect it was it was direction, honestly. I don't know. I felt like she was trying a bit too hard to kind of take it over the top. Like she went too far with the characterization. Well, because Edith is not supposed to be a a joke. She's the she's the one thing in the entire run of the show that is never is never laughed at. Like she's laughed with, and she makes people laugh, but she's never, she's never the butt of, of a joke. Anytime she is like almost the butt of a joke, it always gets turned around and somebody else, you could get you know, She's just, she's the perfect innocent in the show. Yeah. See, and I, I got that from her performance. Yeah. I'm not saying she did bad. I just think out of everybody, I think I liked her performance less than I did other people's performances for huh. sure. All right. What about Gloria? Ellie Kemper's Gloria. I didn't like her accent, but other than that, I thought she was great. And I thought she was a strict upgrade. Hmm. Like I honestly looking back, I just think Ellie Kemper is a more talented actress for sure. Than Sally. I like Ellie Kemper. Was. Kansas city girl. Uh, Kimmy Schmidt is still one of my favorites. Um, I don't know. I I uh, I was kind of a nothing to her performance. Like I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I think I she kinda... wasn't really in this one. Yeah, th- this is an episode that didn't really feature Gloria very much. So yeah, and I think also, I mean, the the whole conversation about the women president thing. I I don't know. I don't think there was enough. There just weren't enough lines for her to to really get the character out there. Yeah. This, this, this wasn't a Gloria episode. You know, you introduced, you know, so many other characters that are going to be like Henry is in the room almost the entire time. He's going to steal some lines from some of the, he's not going to, you know, that character's not going to steal the lines from Archie or Edith. They got to come from somebody. Right. Sure. Although I would also 
point out, I think that Ellie Kemper may have had the most different from the original portrayal of any of them. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because the worst yeah. thing about Gloria throughout the whole run of the show was just how insufferably whiny she is. Yep. She's very screechy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, to, to remove that, because I always thought that, you know, Sally Struthers was the weakest part of All in the Family, you know, back in the day. So to make that character, A, give him a better actor and B, just give him, you know, better, you know, I think it was definitely an upgrade for sure. Uh, Moving on then. Jamie Foxx as George. I think Jamie Foxx was tapping into his comedian side for this one. And I think he was doing more of a Saturday Night Live parody of George Jefferson. Yeah, the the problem with and I said this to you guys before when we first decided to do this topic. Like the problem with casting someone like Jamie Foxx in a role like that is George Jefferson. One of the things about him, similar to you know Archie Bunker, is he has to always be the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And Jamie Foxx is never going to let himself be the butt of a joke. Like Jamie Foxx has always got to be the one telling the joke. Jamie Foxx has always got to be the one making people laugh. He would un- he doesn't want people to laugh at him. He wants people to laugh with him or at things he's doing, but not at him. He will not be the butt of the joke. And he's just too physically imposing of a of a person, of a man, to play a, a character who has a, a Napoleon complex and who who, you know, who has a huge chip on his shoulder and all this kind of stuff. And I just Jamie Foxx was was a was bad casting. I said that from the beginning. And unlike Wanda Sykes, who turned my turned my opinion around. I think Jamie Foxx pretty much just just substantiated everything that I thought was going to happen. And nothing is more was more apparent than when he flubbed his lines and instead of just being a professional and going on, has to break character and you know and and make a little joke and try to make everybody do winky face at the camera and all that kind of shit and break the fourth well, like, wall. And see, I liked that. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I I'm not going to disagree with anything else that you said, but his, his character break and the fact that it's live, like acknowledging it getting the laugh and moving on, I thought was fine. But I mean, acknowledging it was unnecessary. I mean, that's the, the, the entire crux of the whole show. We don't need you to point out it's live. We all know it. And we all know you fucked up and you're just trying to make yourself like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be funny instead of like being the butt of the, you know, and instead of letting people go, Ooh, Jamie Foxx fucked up. If any you know, one of he us can't do that in his head, he can't let that happen. If you know? any one of us had tried to pull that on stage, Phil would have tried to kill us. Yeah, there would have been a pew flying at our heads. Yeah, <laughs> but Phil would have pulled a real gun on me this time instead of just a starting pistol. Um, yeah, I, I think he... I mean, think about how funny we thought it was when Ducky couldn't keep character. Yeah, it was hysterical. <sighs> I'm not I'm not saying this is the same... No, but, but, I, but I mean, it's it. I agree with you on that, Pat. I mean, it's uh, the comment I made at the time was, here we see the difference between actors who have done nothing but stuff in front of a studio audience to people that are used to being recorded. Yeah. Like, you know, pe- people that are used to having, to, you know, being able to do different takes and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, the okay. studio, I was just gonna say in front of a studio audience shows are a rarity nowadays. You know, I think the last one I recall actually happening was what, uh, the Tim Taylor. Had but it? if you have, if you have any kind of, uh, Broadway stage experience, you're not, you know, you're, you you're well-versed in, in being live. You know, right. you know not to break character 
Well, and his background is from sketch comedy. Like, yeah, for sure. And that, before. Yeah, and that's right. why it happened, and that's why I say not a good casting, and blah, blah, blah. So who would well, you cast? Kevin Hart. I knew you were going to say that. A lot of people said that. Here, here's one of the problems, I think, with his characterization versus everybody else's. And not to pick on Jamie Foxx, but if you noticed all the other people that were in the, the series or in this episode outside of maybe Marissa Tomei, they were the character, but they didn't try to be a characterization of that character. Not not so much in the way they portrayed it, but with the way they looked. He 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 turned George Jefferson into a caricature and not a character. That's he tried true. too hard to look like him, to steal his mannerisms, and to become Sherman Hemsley, whereas everybody else was trying to play the character, but they didn't try to look like that character. They didn't try to, you know, overtly change their appearance to look like the character. They just tried to, to become the character by what they said. Yeah, like Ellie that. Kemper didn't change her appearance at, Not all. at all. Right. No, but he went full on. I'm going to be the in living color version of mm-hmm. Emsley in an episode of, of all in the family. No, yeah, I don't know that's if exactly guys... what it felt like he was doing. He was doing a sketch comedy version. Right. Of, yeah. Of George Jefferson. I agree um, with that. Did any of you watch the, well, the Jefferson's at that posted afterwards? Oh yeah. One of the I, things I watched it all the way through the nightline that featured the making of. Okay. After, um, I would I noticed all the jokes that were that fell flat because Jamie Fox is what like six one. Yeah. Yeah, he's not a small dude. And that's well, the I, other thing I was talking about. It's like this is a character that's supposed to have a Napoleon complex. He's supposed to be shorter than Archie. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure about Kevin Hart, but I get I get. Well, the I'm not either. I mean, I'm, I'm I. There's got to be a better choice, but I mean, that's just Napoleon complex. That's just the first one that pops into your head. Yeah, I, right. I get the direction you're headed for sure. Now, Ike Barinholtz as Mike. Uh, I, I he, don't know oh, this. I was just say I don't really know this guy. Uh, Mindy Project. Like, if you hadn't watched Mindy Project, you probably never would have seen this guy. Or uh, he was in Hall Pass. He was in. Uh, he does a lot of yeah, like um, he's been in a lot of ensemble comedies. Okay, right. Where he's he's the the second or third tier. Yeah, he's the best friend, friend. the crazy guy, the single guy, whatever you know. Okay. Yeah. He, he's never the lead. He's always the the guy that's with the lead. I mean, I think he did a a, a great job. I don't necessarily think I, I think it was pretty much. I don't think it was better or worse than Rob Reiner. I think he just did a great job. And again, just like the Gloria character, this was an episode that didn't really have a whole lot of lines for him. So. And I will say the whole Groucho Marx impersonation was not funny, but then again, it wasn't funny in the first one either. No, it didn't. It fell fell flat in both both episodes. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he did. I thought he did good. I mean, he, he again, it wasn't like I said, it wasn't a an episode focused on that character, but he didn't try to outshine anybody, and he didn't try to overdo it. He just played it the way that it felt like it was the way it was originally portrayed or was intended to be portrayed. Well, he owned the character, but didn't like, well, like Jamie Foxx, he owned the character, but didn't caricature the original. Uh-uh. Okay. So Anthony Anderson is Henry. Uh, rock solid. As far as I'm concerned, this is another one where I think he was actually better than the original actor. Although his Henry was a different Henry. Again, it's a uh, Ellie Kemper's Gloria versus the original. I've I, always kind of thought he was super talented, so I like I, him. I, I didn't have any real opinion one way or the other. I mean, he was there, <laughs> but he didn't 
he didn't really leave much of an impression. Well, I think he he did do a good banter between Archie and him. There was a good rapport between the two of them bouncing the lines back and forth. It's all you can always tell when there's a um, when there's a scene or a bit going, and it's almost like ping pong, and someone can't return the ball. Between him and Woody Harrelson, there was a good exchange between the two of them that kept the scene moving. Patrick? What? Any thoughts? No, I, I, I'm trying to let you guys talk. I've been talking a lot. Yeah, he, <laughs> he wore himself out. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I mean, this is, like I said, this is one of my favorite shows, so I've got a lot to say. So um, um, Wanda Sykes is Louise. I guess, like I said, I I thought she did a great job. I really, you know, I'm really not a big fan of hers. I wasn't really crazy to see her name on the on the cast list. I think she did one of the better jobs out of everybody. Mm-hmm. I I'd agree. I I was very impressed with her acting, and I I didn't know that she was capable of playing this sort of character. Like I've I I do like her, but I would have thought she was more of a role player doing what she does rather than playing something like this. And I was super happy to see her do this. Yeah, she did a really great job. I mean, the character was genuine and played true to the original feel of the, of uh, the Jefferson. I a hundred percent agree. I thought she was probably the standout of, of the entire thing. Um, and, you know, in, in retrospect, you know, she's, she's a great choice to play the woman who, you know, is the only one that stands up to George Jefferson. Can't exactly be, you know, unhappy with the casting in retrospect. We got Mm -hmm. Sean Hayes as Frank. Could have been anybody. I mean, didn't, didn't need to be him, but I mean, if you want to do have a guy come in and be real flamboyant, he's, he's a good one to pick. Yes. But when you compare the two episodes, cause I watched them back to back. Um, he he definitely turned it up a, a couple notches. Yeah, he was he was much less. The original actor was much less Paul Lindish. And that's what I at first because I watched the the new one first. I thought it was Paul Lind that played the original kid. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> believe it or not, I it. actually watched the episode that Paul Lind was in, the original one where he plays he play uh, uh, Archie gets rear ended or he gets a car accident. He tries to play it off that he's got whiplash. Oh and yeah, yeah. he called. Yep. He calls the Jew lawyer, and they send Paul Lind because he. They figured he, since he's one of them, he'd be a little bit more comfortable talking to Archie, and he goes full Paul Lind on him. And I, you know, I felt like um, like Sean Hayes was trying a little too hard to be Jack. You know, well, that's his main. His, that's his main character. That's his bread and butter, right? Yeah. And it 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 uh, it wasn't terrible, but it, it definitely felt a little too over the top for what everybody else was doing. I mean, you kind of almost got to do that with the wacky neighbor, though. You don't want an understated wacky neighbor appearance. Mm-hmm. There would be no point in him even being in the script if he just walked in and was like normal and like, hey, here's the cook, here's your cake. Bye. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's he not the wacky it. neighbor. He's just a guy with a cake. <laughs> he welcomed cake it. Man. Uh, he, oh, good. No, no, no. I had nothing. Jovan Nepedo. Uh, is Lionel. He was great. Yeah, he didn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, you get to see a lot more of his performance if you continued on to watch the Jeffersons. Yeah, and he was really good. Yes, he, he was, was really good. I uh, like him as an actor, um, but I, I love the original Lionel. 
a lot. Like, yeah, he, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lionel as a character and an actor. He just every time he's on screen, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy what he has to do in the original. Just he's a perfect blend of you know respectful and you know and disrespectful and smart and you know he just he's a fun character because he, he's constantly messing with Archie and Archie only catches like half of what he does to him. Mm-hmm. But you can tell he's still genuinely he likes the guy. He just doesn't like what the guy has to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's it's kind. Of, I mean, he has the attitude. That I can't remember who it was. Uh, Josh, you might remember who it was. One of the talking heads in the after show was talking about how I would be friends with Archie Bunker because at least he's always honest with you and he's, he doesn't hide who he is. Yeah, I think that was uh, David Allen Greer. Yeah, I, I don't, not important I, I who it was, but I, I think that's kind of the same viewpoint that Lionel has from it. It's like, yeah, he may be a bigot, but he's not, he's not trying to pretend he's somebody else. And he's not, you know, and he's not, you know, outright rude or anything. It's just, he's just fun to fuck with, you know? That is one thing to say about Archie Bunker. He, he never had to wonder what he was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and there's, I mean, for some people, for a lot of people, there's virtue in that, you know, like, you know, yeah. some, you know, some people appreciate someone that's just does a lie to him. You know I mean? Go figure. Some people enjoy that. I don't know why. <laughs> you hey, you think that? I'm joking? I'm not. Some people want to be lied to. They're like, don't tell me how you feel about me. I don't want to know that. Oh, that's all right, Pat. We totally get you. Oh, I yeah. I believe me. I'm I'm of the tribe of you know. You're gonna know what I think. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you're. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like one of one of my personal tenets in life is I don't say anything about you behind your back. I'm not gonna say to your face. You were saying, Mike. Was I? <laughs> I, I was just agreeing with Patrick. That I'm so an asshole. Smart. <laughs> See, uh, Mike is of the other persuasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> Wait. Huh? <laughs> so, uh, well, obviously, it's the first viewing for all of us. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I like while while I think the one thing that I did notice is the live studio audience as a character was very uncertain at times of what they should and shouldn't laugh at. Yeah, that was funny. There was a lot of a, ah, laugh coming from the audience, <laughs> and occasionally there was one dude out there who was just like, ah, "I'm like that guy gets it." Well, and I that, heard that was it. Norman Lear. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a couple of people kind of at some of the lines were like, mm. like yeah, there yeah. was a couple, uh, there were some pearl clutchers out there. And it was, but no, that's something I, that I was, especially with the, uh, if you kept watching with the Jeffersons, um, when Jamie Foxx dropped the, uh, the end bomb. Oh, well, did it. any of us not watch the Jeffersons? I, I didn't get a chance to know. Oh, okay. well, Jamie, uh, the, it, it was good. It was, it was, it was good. And it was kind of interesting to see how you go from Woody Harrelson playing Archie Bunker, who's the racist bigot to George Jefferson played by Jimmy Fox. Who's the classist bigot. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. You know, that's, I mean, it was, it was almost the same story, 
different characters, but you know, it's it was the same theme on that side of thing. But one thing I did notice when Jamie did, because uh, he was yelling at uh, Joel, he was yelling at I forgot the name of the couple who had the the mixed race couple, the Willises, the Willises, yeah. And um, he says, "You know, when you get angry, you're gonna call her." And he paused. Did you Don't notice you how say he did that? <laughs> but did you see how he he how he delayed himself on this? I think this goes back to him wanting to be kind of the center of attention thing because he started to act like he said it, paused a second, and then said it, and that was the longest beep I've ever heard on TV. <laughs> Whoever was in charge of that, because they chose to do it that way not not to change the writing not to not say it but they thought it was responsible to beep it i'm sure whoever was responsible for that live beep knew like this is my career yes (laughs) right (laughs) yeah did you need to have a four second beep yes i did yes i did i'm I'm just imagining he's back there just mash his hand on it Four seconds long. Yeah, <laughs> he's been done. I don't care. I need to be sure. <laughs> oh yeah, but, I mean, but it was an I the ugh, excuse me words. The crisscross between the two of them is you've got Archie who doesn't like you because of the way you look, and George doesn't like you because of how much money you make. Because you're what did he call him? Uh, what was he called? Uh, domestic. A, a domestic. Because you're a domestic. I mean. He's not entirely wrong about that. Like, I mean, it would be a weird thing for the maid to hang out with one of the tenants. But it's not something that would be like, you know, completely, it would blow up the world. Well, but they were friends before they moved up there. That's the thing. I don't know if they were or not. I think they, I think it was implied that they met at the building. Maybe not. I don't know. It wasn't really. So. Well, no, because I'm pretty sure that was the first episode. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was, too. And even though we're talking about All in the Family, how awesome was it that they kept Marla Gibbs actually playing her original character under their hats and just had her come out? Yeah, that was pretty cool when she walked out. I was like, oh! (laughs) It was was like, oh, my God, it's so cool! I didn't know she was still alive! Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I think they handled both very well. And I will say that uh, Jamie Foxx was less insufferable when he got into the Jeffersons. I, I agree. I'm not as hard on him as the rest of you are, but he was a little, he was the hardest to watch in the first one. And he was not as hard to watch in the actual. He may, he may have gotten some direction in between. Yeah. <laughs> Norman's like, don't fuck this up. Yeah. You won't work in this town again. <laughs> I don't care about your Oscar. Yeah. And, he, and Jamie's like, you know, I'm Jamie Foxx, right? <laughs> but I'm Norman fucking Lee. <laughs> that's, no. that's actually what happened. I saw the cutscene. But yeah, it just, uh, he, he was a little more, I think part of what, what helped was just knowing in his mind that he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to chew any scenery. He was the lead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's almost certainly what it was. Yeah. He didn't have to overcome anybody else's character in that one. I do think the swagger and the rocking and all that was a bit too much. It was, but it was also a bit too much when Sherman Hemsley was doing it too, to be honest. True. But he didn't do it all the time, did he? He was like watching a bobblehead. He pretty much <laughs> no, I mean he did he didn't shake like he had Parkinson's all the time, but every time he walked he would he he's cocky, yeah, the, yeah, the he had strut. that cocky strut. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't stand there, you know, constantly just, you know, shaking like he 
Like he had Parkinson's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not I, mean, I, I, I wondered at first, like, you know, the comment that, that Woody Harrelson made when he first came in. I was, I was like, was that in the script or not? Because he said something about how you got ants in your pants or something. <laughs> that was pretty funny. All right, so you want to roll it up? We'll do thumbs up, thumbs down on this? Do we yeah. have anything more to say? Anybody um, else? I don't I think I'm pretty good. I'm tapped out. Yeah. Um, so, Pat, thumbs up, thumbs down? Uh, definite thumbs up on both of them. I mean, not even really a question. I mean, like I said, All the Family is one of my favorite shows of all time. And then I think this remake was was well done. Yeah. Despite some of my reservations and complaints, I, I was very happy with it. I'm right there with Patrick. Massive thumbs up for both, and I'm so glad we decided to do this show because I'm not really a network TV guy most of the time, and I probably wouldn't have watched this if we hadn't been talking about it, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Joel, what about you? I'm right there with both of them. Mm-hmm. And I agree so, with you. I got thumbs up on both of them, up. too. And and I think Josh said this earlier. You know, I hope there's a resurgence of, you know, I, I, I know it probably won't happen, but resurgence of new actors playing classic characters straight from the script. Oh, I would like it if they didn't, if they, if they found some unknowns. See, yeah. That, that's not the concept of the series. I, I can guarantee that with all the buzz about this, not only are they going to do it, they're going to do it the same way. Huge For actors sure. playing uh, classic characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to, they're going to cast na- names, <clears throat> but I wish they wouldn't. I, I would be shocked if we didn't see more of this, and I, I would think that Three's Company would be right up at the top of the list. Okay, that, that's actually a question I was going to ask you. What show do you want to see him do next? My mother. HR Puffin stuff. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that was productive. Yeah. Um. What What would I like to see him do? I totally uh, want to see Sanford and Son. That's big shoes to fill. I know, but I, I want to see him try it. Well, and if they did Three's Company, they could get Jason Ritter. You know what I would like them to redo? Cheers. Okay. Yeah. With Woody Harrelson as? Oh. Uh, okay. Norm. <laughs> Norm. Yeah, they, they recast it with the same actors in different roles. <laughs> that would be fun. John Ratzenberger as Norm and and uh, George Went as as Cliff. <laughs> oh, so. the Partridge Family. Ooh. Uh, right. Okay. Let's see that. Gilligan's Island. Eh, I could see that. Done by J.J. Abrams. The love Woody Harrelson has all the characters. <laughs> the Love Boat. No. Yeah. No. Definitely not. I'm not sure that one ages very well. No. WKRP. Ooh, that would be a good one. Yeah, that, would be yeah. that that was a good suggestion right there. Yeah. The the Thanksgiving episode. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. From W K R. Oh, so, yeah, that would be a good one. I think that's the best out of the out of the bunch right there. Yeah. All right. How about you, Mike? You got a pick? Oh, for to remake? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Sanford and Son. Oh, right. You yeah, started. that's his. I'm coming for you, Elizabeth. Oh, Josh, you can have this one. Taxi. Yeah. Ooh. Ah. That but it's called theme song. Uber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many old classics. I mean, uh, oh, um, Hogan's Heroes. 
Yeah, I wasn't gonna. Yeah, not too so far and not great. Yeah, <laughs> for the time it was fine, but like that show did not age well. Barney Miller. No, oh, there you go. Oh yeah, no, we're, we're gonna do it. We're, we're gonna do a new Hogan's Heroes, but it's gonna be set in Guantanamo. Jesus. Yeah. All right, I'm calling it. We're done. <laughs> That's it. We're welcome, done. welcome back, Cotter. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. oh. That. Hey, Mr. Cotter. So, uh, Joel, what are we doing next week? I believe we're going to be talking about the werewolves of Teendom. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We, we promised last week we'd be doing Teen Wolf, but because this was a live event, uh, we're we're actually going to actually do that show next week. Yeah, yeah, we called it Audible and and stuck this in as a topic at the last minute. Yeah, so we were actually recording this immediately after it. When I said it, it, it aired yesterday, uh, just so we can get some commentary and get a show out. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing next week. Will will be the uh, Teen Wolf show. And then after that is Karate uh, is it Karate Kid? Karate Kid. Yeah. Karate, Karate Kid. 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 Yep. All right. So if you have any of uh, opinions of who are your favorite or least favorite uh, portrayals for this remake, or what remakes you'd like to see them do in the future and live before a studio audience, let us know. Give us a call at 708 now wrap. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And as I said before, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, and all sorts of places. As Pat says, if you can't find us, you ain't trying. Did you almost say Ootunes? Ootunes. Ootunes. <laughs> you can find us on Ootunes. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. All right. So music, George. What? You guys want to say Pat? No. <laughs> no one said anything. Nobody said anything. No one said a thing. It was released January, <laughs> January 15th and immediately became the number one song in the land. Apparently, Joel's on a tape delay. The rest <laughs> of us are live. Joel was not performing before a live studio audience. <laughs> oh, nice. Joel, did you. Did you oh, he's have on a, a delay, man. <laughs> Joel? Joel? <laughs> what is happening? Come on. Oh, Jesus. Come on. <laughs> well. Honk twice if you're okay. Park twice if you're in Milwaukee. Oh, my God. Well, we may be starting this over. Go ahead and mark this down as, as a useless recording. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can we just assume that we got through this weekend and just start from music? Yeah, just start at the beginning of music again, Joel. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we're podcasting with Harpo Marks now. <laughs> uh, seems bad. <laughs> you sound like straight garbage or nothing. I don't know. That's the only sentence you've said that's gotten all the way through. I don't know. <sighs> Literally, the only sentence you've said in the last five minutes has gotten through. <sighs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even get through it that time. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>